good evening, Saints. Uh, the date is August the 16th of 2022. This is Michael Scotto in the city of Greensboro in the great state of North Carolina, USA. Back-to-back uh, -back weeks, so you're stuck with me for another week. Uh, Craig's under the weather tonight, and he's asked me to fill in his rather large ten-and-a-half shoes. I'm guessing his shoe size. Uh, tonight, we're going to be starting in the book of Numbers, chapter 21, looking, looking, there's a clue, looking at the serpent on the pole for a little bit. And uh, we're going to be bouncing around tonight, so kind of follow me down this road. Again, starting here is our jumping off point, again, in Numbers 21. And uh, we are going to be starting in verse 4, and I'm just going to read down to verse 9. And then uh, we'll just check some various things along the way that I've just been kind of poking at and prodding at here in the last few weeks with this serpent on the pole. Since we had a message recently, you know, about the pole, the Lord being on the pole, we will, we will get to that in due course. Again, chapter 21 of Numbers, verse 4, and they, Israel, we've talked about pronouns before and the importance of pronouns, they, Israel, journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. And the people spake against God and Moses, saying, Wherefore have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, Neither is there any water, and our soul loathes this light bread. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people. And much people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord, take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent. And set it upon a, a pole. It's the word ness in Hebrew. And it shall come to pass that every one that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass, and he put it upon a pole. And it came to pass that if the serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld, when he looked upon the serpent of brass, he lived. Now, the same word ness, I want to look at that for a second. Again, we're going to look at a different things tonight. We're going to kind of bounce around. It's used in other places, obviously, in the Hebrew. And right now, though, I want to look at Psalm 60, verse 4. Thou hast given a banner. There's our word, ness. Thou hast given a banner to them that fear thee, that it may be displayed because of the truth. Selah. That's Psalm 64. Now, this is a form of the Hebrew word, nisi. And we're familiar with that, the banner, as in Jehovah Nissi, Exodus 17:15. We're going to look at that in a bit too. The Lord is my banner, right? Jehovah Nissi. So the another form of this same Hebrew would be Ness, which we've looked at as a pole in Numbers 21. Same word, same form of the word used in Psalm 60. And this can mean a pole or a banner, as we've seen, but also a sign. And we're going to skip ahead a little bit in Numbers and look at Numbers 26, verse 10. And the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up together with Korah when that company died. What time the fire devoured, 
what time the fire devoured 250 men, and they became a sign. Again, there's our word again. So these are very distinctive things. Right? The, the looking upon the pole, the Lord being the banner, very, very powerful things, the sign here. So the Lord was providing these signs and banners in that age, right? So these, of course, pointed to reality. A reality they, they couldn't understand yet, right? But we understand that reality, which is Christ. That's Christ on the pole. That's Christ, our banner, right? So they looked through a glass darkly at a serpent on a pole and upon other types and shadows, and we look to the reality. Even though today we, too, look through a glass darkly, because even though we're blessed to live understanding Christ fulfilling the types and shadows, we still are in this flesh and we don't see him as clearly as someday we will. So we see more clearly than they did, but we don't see as clearly as we will. So it shouldn't be lost in us that the truth of this pattern applies to God's revelation. So this is where you're going to follow me. This is where, you know, I try to look at everything through my calling, right? Lost the sound. Oh, it's back? Am I back? Okay. Must be just Franklinton or something. So, <laughs> wherever we were, I, I, I back up a little bit. I'm saying we, we see through a glass darkly today, but someday we're going to see, we're going to see clearly, right? So, <clears throat> when we see the Lord face to face in that glorious day, but we'll be in our new bodies. We see this through the revelation, right? So, we, we've seen this that this pattern of God revealing himself more and more and more until we are in this age and this calling. And we have the clearest view, I think. And that's what I kind of want to look at all these things and then kind of look at it from my calling. Right? That's what I try to do. There's truths in Scripture that are always true. There's beautiful truths uh, for all believers. But then we, try to, we want to kind of see it as Paul would have us see it. Right? So the serpent, the serpent, right, is its sin. It's their sin on the pole. Right? We see our, our sins are taken up on the pole. Adam, in Genesis, now again we're going to kind of walk a little bit through Revelation here, the Revelation of God. In Genesis, he listened to the voice of sin. He listened to the voice of the serpent. right? And the Lord cursed the serpent in that time, but that's all that Adam understood at the time. He knew he'd been deceived because the Lord told him by this, by this creature. And so later, when the, the serpent is held up for all of Israel, Israel now recognizes their sin, right? Because God has equated those things together. So the Lord completed the picture of the serpent, the serpent on the pole. It, as, our, as our sin, the Lord literally, the Lord Jesus literally was made sin for us, right? So the Lord was made our sin. So that's why you have the serpent on the pole. Right? And this is a, a, a distinction some people struggle with. But we have to understand that the serpent is, is our sin. So when we look at the Lord on the cross, he has no sin, right? So the Lord wasn't made some nebulous generic sin. This is what we have to remember when we think about the Lord on the pole. 
He wasn't made generic sin. He was made our sin. Right? He was made your sin. He was made my sin. Right? The Lord was made my sin. Before I even took a breath in this world, in this flesh, the Lord took my sin. Right? So that's, it's, it's just glorious thought. It's, it's incomprehensible in many ways. And the amazing thing about the Lord taking your sin and taking my sin upon himself on that pole was that he did it willingly. He did it out of love, looking down the corridors of time, knowing I would sin before I knew him and knowing I would sin after I knew him. And I was reading Charles Welch recently, who said, who prayed in the middle of talking about the glorious work of the Lord Jesus Christ, that our sins are remembered no more. God has no consciousness of our sin. He talked about our sins in the past and our sins in the future, and he said, he stopped and parenthetically, he said, may they be few, Lord. Give us the grace that they may be few sins. Right? But even though they're still paid for. So that's another prayer that we had. And our mind goes to 2 Corinthians 5.21. Right? God made him, the Lord Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And we have to take all of that together. So we have to be careful. Because Christ had no sin in himself. He did not become sin in that sense that he became a sinner. Right? He was imputed with sin. So become is one way to translate the Greek. But it carries a lot more in the Greek than, than it does in the English of what we see here. But we have to remember that whole, that whole verse together. So the Lord Jesus is, is holy, without sin or blemish. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So before the foundation of the ages, during the ages, he, he is sinless. After the ages, he is sinless. He, he, didn't, he didn't become a sinner. right? So he knew no sin. He had no sin. But this verse teaches that he became, right, that, that we, because he took on and was imputed with sin of ours, our sin, that's what's on the pole. We become, again, this word having a broader meaning, we become the righteousness of God. What a thought we, that we might become. He who had no sin, had our sin imputed to him, that we might have the righteousness of God imputed to us, just as he had no sin in his nature. We have no righteousness in our nature of our own. right? Just as he was perfect and had could not know sin, he had it imputed to him, and just as we have no hope and no righteousness, because of his act, we have the righteousness of God imputed in us. Right? Not of our own. His sin was not of his own. And our righteousness is not of our own. And that's the power of that verse in 2 Corinthians 5.21. Right? So I want to get back to this word that we saw back in Numbers. This idea of looking. Right? They looked upon the, the serpent. So it's not enough just to recognize sin. 
We have to look upon the sin, true, but then we must look upon the Lord as our sin. Right? And this is the message we have for the world, saying the Lord has taken your sin already. Right? The message of reconciliation there in 2 Corinthians 5. That the Lord has already taken your sin upon himself. Right? So the children of Israel, they were called to look upon the servant. So this idea of looking is connected to their rescue and salvation of God's people. Right? So God calls them to look to him. Now I want to look at Isaiah 45:22, And this is what the Lord, Lord speaking through Isaiah says. Look unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is none else. Now that reads oddly to the world, right? But we're going to look at it. So the word translated look, it has the idea of to turn the face. To turn the face. So, you know, when you're with your child, look at me, look at me. <laughs> you, want them, you, know, you want them not to just gaze upon them. You, you want them, wherever they are, to turn. Right? Turn their face and look. Not just glance. Right? So this is an idea of repenting. Right? There's, a, there's a sense of repenting here. Turning. Turning their face. Not just glancing. Turning their face with, with intention. With desire to understand and learn. Right? So they're changing the direction, they're changing their attention, they're changing their mind about what's going on, right? so God has their attention. But right in the middle of God saying to look upon him, right as he's saying that, he says, why? For I am God, and there is none else. And the world would puzzle at that concept. Right? But we're going to look at it here just, just a little bit more. Isaiah 53, 6. We have turned everyone to his own way. There's a turning again. Again, this idea of turning the face back to God. But we have turned everyone to his own way. Isaiah 53.6. Isaiah 56.11. They all look to their own way. And there's again the word look. So we've turned to our own way and we look to our own way. Again, those words are tied together, turning your own way and looking your own way. So we observe two sides of the same corn here. Men turn to their own way and men look their own way. But God says to look to me, look to me. And that's true today. That's true of the believer. We have to look to God in prayer. We look to God for understanding of Scripture. We look to God. We turn our attention fully. We turn fully to God. That's what a workman does, right? So men are looking everywhere for relief and salvation, even believers. Right? But everywhere that we may look or turn our face, that's not the Lord, even if it's very close. This is what religion does. It gives you a close. It gives you a shadow of the reality. A man-made shadow. But they're not turning and looking. You have to turn to the Lord alone and his revelation. And of course, as we would know, we have to call, turn to the calling 
to which you have been called. Right? So let's jump back to Isaiah 45 and look at the next verse for our context. Verse 22. So now look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. I have, verse 23, I have sworn by myself. The world is gone out of my mouth. The word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return. That unto me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear. Right? So where do our minds go immediately? They go right to our epistle, Philippians chapter 2. And the reminder that every knee of the redeemed, those who've looked upon the Lord to be rescued, will one day, quote, confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Now, I looked at this word confess. It's the Greek word exomologio. That's as close as I can get. Which, according to Thayer, has these couple of meanings. But in this context, to profess means acknowledge openly and joyfully. See, oftentimes, and I see this all the time, where this verse is used as a mockery of the lost. Right? It's like, oh, I can't wait till someday when, you know, angry God's beating you up and making you kneel down to him. Like before he turns you into a fiery furnace, you know, of hell. You know, that's what they, that's what they say, but that's not God's message at all. That's not, that's not the God of Scripture, and it's not the God, certainly, of 2 Corinthians 5 and the God who reconciled men to himself on the cross, not counting their sins against them, right? So this pro- profess, this confess, is to profess something. It's openly and joyfully. And the other part of Thayer's definition is to one's honor, to celebrate, to give praise to. We, we will bow down, right? So we know in this section, there, this is the seven steps down, the seven steps of humiliation of the Lord, and then the seven steps of his exaltation, right? So this is the final step of the exaltation. You know, in order, God highly exalted him. Gave him a name and whatever name. Every knee is to bow to his name. Things in heaven and earth acknowledge him. Things on earth. Things under the earth are number seven. Every tongue will profess, confess him as Lord. And it will be done by us joyfully to give him honor, to celebrate, and to praise him. To praise him. It will be a glorious day. We will willfully do it. We will want to do it. You know, we just we will fall down and say, my Lord and my God. You know, like when they realized the Lord was risen, his own. So this final step that we saw in Philippians is taken from Isaiah 45, but Paul expands on it, right? We go from this. This is Isaiah 45. This is part of the overall message tonight about God's revelation. We go from that unto me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear. That was Isaiah 45:23. To this. At the name of Jesus, this is Paul, the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things on earth and things under the earth and every tongue shall should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. That's a glorious scene, not a, not a horrible scene. So we've gone from the simplicity truth of every knee shall bow to God to this glorious expansion that Paul gives us. In Philippians 2, 10 and 11. And, and in that, we also recognize that this is another, another affirmation of the full deity of the Lord Jesus. Because when the Lord says in Isaiah, every knee shall bow, and to me every knee shall bow, 
It's to Jesus every knee should bow because he and the Father are one. It's the full deity of the Lord Jesus Christ on display here again. So we have the unveiling of the glory that will be revealed to Christ. The full unveiling. So that's, again, we're getting back to the revelation of God and how it works. We had sin, Adam, and the serpent. We had the serpent in Moses' day on the pole, and then we saw the actuality in Christ on the pole. Same thing here. We see God saying that every knee, to him every knee shall bow, and then the expansion of that is this glorious scene unto Jesus Christ, every knee shall bow in heaven, things on earth, under the earth, every tongue to confess that Jesus is Lord. That's adding to that Isaiah 45 prophecy, right? So now if we, if we trip back, trip back to Numbers 21, we have the Lord taking on sin on a pole. One of the cross is really a stake or a pole. He's made sin for us. He, our sin is placed upon him, for he has no sin. He is our substitute. He is our banner upon whom our sin is projected. All right? So that's that picture there. So let's turn back even further to Exodus 17 and see the Lord there as the banner for his people. Starting in verse 14, And the Lord said unto Moses, Write this for memorial in a book and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. For I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nisi, Yahweh Nisi. There's our word Nisi, the form of it, banner. For he said, because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. And we know Amalek represents the flesh. Right? So even in the midst of this, where the Lord is our banner, there's a recognition that in the flesh there's constant war. But isn't this wonderful? The Lord will have war with Amalek. Right? The Lord wants us to overcome the flesh. The Lord is on our side. He is the banner we take into battle. Again, we claim nothing of ourselves. We have no strength. We do not trust in our flesh at all. That was actually the 17, 14 through 16, if anyone's playing at home. So, speaking of the Amalekites, we have King Saul. Remember, he spared Agag for thinking he was pleasing the Lord, but the Lord never asked him to. Right? So, when God delivers us, from whatever it is. When God delivers us from whatever sin, whatever flesh, whatever it could be, could be pride, could be religion, we have no business holding on to the flesh, like Agag, saying, we'll take care of it. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll do this as an honor for the Lord in my flesh. No, no. So Saul didn't obey the command given to him. God makes war with Amalek, with the old nature. Right? We are not to mess with it. We're, we carry this old nature in this life, and something we've talked about a lot. But we're called to walk according to the new nature, the spirit. And according to the calling of the age, on top of that, in which we are called. So to properly walk in the spirit and not in the flesh, you have to understand your calling so you can walk properly in the spirit. The flesh can't decide what is what is God's will? We have a lot of people, and I run into them all the time, Sabbath keepers, law keepers. They're deciding for God that they're going to walk according to their flesh. 
they're going to try to conquer Amalek for the Lord through the law. But they will fail. Just like the law always failed. I'm gonna, I'm, my next blog entry is going to be called The Law, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. <laughs> the law's good, but it's got a bad side to it. And it's got a very ugly side to it, depending on how it's used and its purpose. Right? So that's for another day. So the Lord will make war with Amalek for the ages, it says. The Lord, he's going to take out Amalek eventually, right? The Lord will put Amalek out of remembrance. Isn't that wonderful? It's the Lord. The victory is the Lord's. No one will stand before the Lord ever. There's no saints that have so many good works, the Lord doesn't know what to do with them, so he puts them in this treasury of merit so I can pray to that saint and he can give me some of his good works because he's got way more than God can ever handle. Never. Nothing. We bring nothing. Simply to thy pole I cling. <laughs> we want to rewrite the hymn. <laughs> All right. So back in Numbers 21, I want to look at these two verses, that shelter that we find behind that banner. Back in Numbers 21, verses 8 and 9, the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent. Remember that? Set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that every one that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, looketh, turn attention to, gaze upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole and it came to pass that if a certain serpent had bitten a many man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. When he beheld the serpent of brass and then and then honored the Sabbath. When he beheld the serpent of brass and, and, and then did good works at his local uh, nursing home. No, it's just when he beheld the serpent, he lived. God made no distinction. They looked upon him. And as it's well in scripture, God calls us to look upon him. For he is God and there is no other. Right? So when the true serpent bites at sin, all one needs to do is believe the Lord and look to the brass serpent. Now the brass serpent was a substitute there. It was a picture. Just like the, our Lord Jesus was a substitute. Completely separate from sin. No sin of his own, but he was a substitute. Right? So for that particular reward of rescue, there is no other requirement. Life through his name, as we know from John, the free gift of resurrection life is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, right? to believe on the Son. Now again, there's judgment of works and service, etc., and we know all those things, and we're not talking about that at the moment. We're talking about being healed from our sin. And that's sin today, as we walk through the world and we pick up dirt on our feet, right? And we have to go to the Lord and ask for cleansing and, and cleanse us with hyssop, another picture of the, the blood that protects us, right? that we should be clean in this walk. We are clean before him. It's just our daily walk, you know that. So again, we've been talking a lot about types and shadows, and this is where um, I want to change directions a tiny bit, staying with all these topics, and talk about types and shadows and, and this age that we live in, right? So we don't have serpents on, serpents on poles today, right? And even if we did, they'd be useless. There's another example of just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean it's for you, right? I mean, you tell people who say, you throw out the Bible, you only have seven books, you, you throw out most of your Bible. You know, no, we don't. No, we don't. We've been talking about numbers here in Exodus and learning all about the lovely Lord Jesus from these pictures. We've been in Isaiah, right? 
we we cherish these things. They, they reveal the Lord to us in so many ways. But we know that not everything is for us. And one of those things is that serpent on the pole. You can have all the serpents on all the poles you want. It's not going to do any good. Right? Because we, we're, we're in the reality now. So we don't look to these types of shadows. So everything from the high priest, the lamb, the Passover, all these things, they all pointed to Christ. Now again, I'm going to talk about this in a minute, and you guys, you guys stick with me on this, about this age and how it's even different from, from the Acts age post-Christ on these issues. So in the Acts age, they had their own shadows. Right? So there were all a lot of shadows and a lot of types, obviously, in Adam, through, through the law, through Israel, Right? But even in the Acts age, they had shadows in the form of earthly ordinances. Right? But in our calling, the calling which is far above the heavens, and that's a distinction we got to remember, and it's a distinction we have to, a distinction that we have to understand that a lot of believers don't understand, as we don't have an inheritance on this earth. And we say it all the time. We try telling people that. And and even if they agree to it in, in some form, the implications of not having an inheritance on this earth affect so many things, right? So and when you're looking at a calling that's far above the heavens, this glorious finality, the right hand of God, all the covers are gone. Everything earthly is gone. We look directly past the earth to the unsearchable riches above, right? So that's why Paul warns us in Colossians. He warns us in Colossians. Colossians 2, 16 and 17. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you. Now, who's going to judge you? Do we care if the world judges me? No. I don't care if some Satanist judges me. No, I don't care. All right? This judgment here is going to come from believers, from our brothers and sisters that we talked about last time. I let no one, let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or regard with a religious festival or feast, the new moon, Sabbaths. For these are shadows even of the things that were to come. The reality here is here. It's found in Christ. But in our context, it's found in the body of Christ. So the ordinances that we... We're not to be sub submitting ourselves to these ordinances. That includes baptism and the Lord's Supper. Right? That includes baptism and the Lord's Supper. Because those are pictures too. Those are pictures that look back to the priesthood washing. Those are pictures that look back to the Passover. So something wasn't complete. That's why you have types and shadows. Because something's not complete. The serpent on the pole is a type and shadow... Because it's not complete, but it's complete in Christ. So the baptism and the Lord's Supper are telling that age, the Acts age, and the nation of Israel, something's not complete. Do this until he comes, right? Keep holding the Passover, so to speak, till he comes. Keep washing the priests till he comes to prepare for the kingdom. So those are types and shadows of what was to come. A priesthood, 
and a remembrance of Israel and the Passover. That's what baptism and the Lord's Supper are. So even for us, we are careful with types and shadows. Right? We are careful. Now the body here, the word body here, yeah, that I'm, the body of Christ, it's, it's soma in the Greek as we all know. So we're now looking directly at the person and not the shadow. We're looking at the body, not the shadow. Right? So we look, again, we turn our heads, we turn our attention away from everything else to the singular reality that is Christ. But not only the singular reality that is Christ, the reality that is Christ from before the foundation of the ages. Christ before Israel. Christ before the Passover. Christ before the washings. So when we look to that, we turn our heads, and the Lord has our attention, we look to that reality, there's nothing, right? Nothing between us and the far above the heavens. No ordinances, no priesthood. A body whose head is Christ, functions, cannot function apart from him, has no, there's no local, it's all one, right? So, the comparative obviously is between the shadows and the body. And then we have the word however or but, right? This is a clear marker. Everything is good, but the latter is superior, right? All these things are good, like the law is good, but there's something superior. And that's what scripture says, what revelation is. Looking upon the serpent is good, looking upon Christ is superior, right? And once you have that reality, the superior, you should never look back at the shadow. Now the shadow has become bad. That which was good has now become bad. That's a good picture of the law. So if we're looking at the serpent and I put a serpent on a pole in my yard and tell people it's biblical, yeah, it is biblical in a way, but it's now bad. It's now robbing from the reality. And we can see that. Most believers can see that. Some people do. But we even understand that when they do the Lord's Supper or have baptisms, they're doing the same thing. They're robbing themselves and robbing the Lord of this ministry of this age. Right? So the shadow has now become bad. Again, we don't, they do Lord's Supper and baptism, I worship, I just don't participate. I've talked to people there, friends of mine, and you know, in a friendly way, loving way, about why I don't uh, practice those things and, or don't think we should. They think it's interesting, but they do them anyway. But it's again, it's not for me to judge them, that's for the Lord. But I'm saying once we understand that, we no longer, once we turn our faces to look, right, to that which is better, right, let's go and go back to the last dispensation and what Paul goes through the betters in Hebrews. And he's very adamant with them. So if Paul's adamant with the Hebrews in that age, we can still be adamant today in a loving way. Paul loved them, poured his heart out for them. But these are the things, you know, the 12 things, which is very significant to Israel in, in Hebrews, that are better. Better hope, better promises, a better country, 
better things that accompany salvation, better sacrifice, a better covenant, a better testament, a better resurrection, and better things than that of Abel. Those are the betters that he's talking to the Hebrews about. So, these things are better because of Christ alone, and others are better result of a life of faith in the sacrifice of Christ alone. But just as Paul laid out the glorious truths to Hebrews of those better things, we have better things in baptisms and early earthly ordinances. So again, it's taking that additional step away from the shadows. So the serpent on the pole was good. The Passover was good. The law was good. The Lord's Supper was good. But just as one who had to look to the Lord Jesus to get a clearer view of God's revelation than the one who looked upon the serpent, even though they both were good, and they both were obedient to the calling of their age. We don't, we don't question any of them. We are blessed to have a clearer view of all of Scripture. Remember that guy back in Numbers, he didn't have all of Scripture. Remember, that person in the previous age didn't have Paul's revelation in Ephesians, right? So we do. We are blessed with a clearer vision of all of Scripture. So we can rightly divide it because of the revelation of Paul in our epistles. We can now rightly divide the serpent, the cross, the Lord's Supper, the body, the, the charismatic gifts in one age, the blessings in the heavenlies in the next. So we have this responsibility upon us. All callings have the same banner. All callings carry the same God. All callings have the same Savior. All callings have their sins imputed to him on the pole before, during, and after. All of them. But, but, the, the blessings of each age is different. So we praise God because everything is because of Christ. Nothing is because of us. And even when Paul prayed for the revelation that people would have enlightenment, we thank God for the enlightenment we have. And we look down upon no one and we judge no one. But we thank him and we are careful not to walk in the shadows in this age. As beautiful as those pictures were. As beautiful as the picture of the serpent was, it is nothing as beautiful as the, the Lord Jesus Christ. And as beautiful as the Passover was, as a remembrance of God's deliverance, as beautiful as the bloodless sacrifice of the Lord's Supper was a wonderful remembrance of the Lord in Passover on the cross having finished work. Beautiful pictures. We have even a clearer picture of the Lord at the right hand of the Father, in the far above the heavens, of a revelation that was before any of that happened, it was in the mind of God. Before any of those things came along, before there was even sin, God looked down the corridor of ages and called out a body unto himself. It's staggering, the love of God and the grace and the mercy in God. So Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your blessing and your grace and your mercy. Thank you for the Lord on the pole having our sins imputed to the lovely Lord, perfect Jesus. Father, we look to him for everything, for guidance, direction, mercy, grace, even today. 
help in our daily lives that we would walk in the spirit, not according to the lust of the flesh. Lord, pray especially for Craig tonight that his throat, his laryngitis would, would be healed according to thy will. Father, that you would bring healing quickly, but Lord, but give this, this time for him to just uh, meditate upon you. We look forward to his teaching that you would, you're setting him aside, Father, in a couple weeks that he'll bring something wonderful for us. And all the teachers here and everyone here, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We love you. And we ask that you bless each one here in the name of our lovely Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.